Welcome into the 3430 Club podcast. I am your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Mr. Big Apple himself, Bobby Nemeth. Bobby just returned fresh off a trip to New York to see his beloved Yankees. Bobby, tell us all about the trip. I know this has uh, been a long time coming. Yeah, finally, finally, the bucket list item that I've had is done, completed. Went to Yankee Stadium. I was there for a week. Obviously, there was more highlights to the trip other than Yankee Stadium, but that for sure was the highlight. I like you say, <laughs> Mr. Big Apple. I'm from Montana, by the way. I'm like the least, I'm like the smallest apple there is. Uh, so New York was like, at first it was kind of an adjustment, but like after a day or two, you kind of get get used to the grime and the grit and the hustle. And uh, oh, man, I loved it there. It was great. Subway system for as nasty and dirty as it is, is amazing. Uh, I know they don't run on time all the time, but like you can get, you can get anywhere in the boroughs within 30 minutes or so. And there's like, there seems to be a station within every couple of blocks. So, you know, as far as infrastructure goes for public transportation, there's not many cities in this country that beat New York, even as uh, grimy as it is. So uh, it was, it was awesome, man. Lots of food ate really well. The weather wasn't great half the time. We, we got like a PNW day, one of our days. It was like 65 degrees and raining. Um, but on like the outer edges, the beginning and the end of the trip were really nice. And the last day we were there, full day was Saturday. It was like 90 degrees and muggy and hot. Um, kind of what you're dealing with too, John. You had a, you kind of had a big move too. Something big happened in your life. Where are you at now? You're recording from a new yeah. studio, aren't you? I am. I... I, I want to go back to your New York trip real quick. Um, give us one thing that surprised you in a good way about New York sure. and one thing that surprised you in a bad way. Um, I was surprised in a good way and how friendly everybody was. Everybody, the service was great. Everybody was so kind and polite. And that might seem weird thinking about New York. And, I, you know, there's millions and millions of people. You can have different experiences. But I would say overall, um, like pretty universally, everybody I dealt with was, was really polite and kind. And, um, I was not expecting that. I was kind of expecting that East coast, like, you know, get out of my way. I'm walking here and that, that's not what I encountered. Um, so I really did. Uh, I was taken back by that, but I enjoyed that. And, um, what was the other question? Think something that surprised me in a bad way. Yeah. Something, or maybe just something that caught you off guard that you're like, I had never heard this about new york before you know i to be honest like there wasn't anything that surprised me that much in a negative way i had a really positive experience um i don't know anything caught me off guard i will say the one thing that i was expecting it didn't catch me off guard but it was kind of a negative is like parts of new york especially brooklyn are like filthy like super dirty there's just garbage everywhere and litter everywhere i don't mean just bags of garbage on the sidewalks i mean it's littered broken down dilapidated like there is real history and grime and grit to that city which i know people love i mean residents love not all parts i mean some parts of manhattan were super clean um times square i hated it don't go there it's awful i would say if something like another thing that maybe was a negative experience like 
it was kind of cool because I'd never been there before to see all the lights. But outside of that, that wasn't a fun experience being in Times Square. So just if, with how busy it was, it's just crazy. People, yeah, it's crazy busy and everything is like a tourist trap. So there's nothing unique there. Like everything there is essentially a chain. It's just big. It's just bigger and brighter. That's it. And then you have thousands and thousands of people all within like, you know, two city blocks. And like me and Hana moved quick. Like we were trying to get places, try to get around. And, you know, most of the people are just standing, just hordes of people standing in the sidewalk. You're trying to get some places. So you're squeezing through crowds and trying to get around. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't go back. I will say we did see a Broadway show, which was not on, like, in Times Square, um, but we had to go to that same area. And I, that was, I mean, I was happy to go do that, but as far as actually going into where Times Square is, yeah, never again, if I can choose. All right. I'll keep that in mind. I've, I've still never been to New York. Uh, planned it as a kid and never happened, um, which is fine. And uh, I need to get an East Coast trip on the books, so... Now that we're kind of past COVID and I've graduated, I think the East Coast is a priority. So. And yeah, and like I'm a, I think we're both. I mean, you were born and raised in Oregon and Washington. I was born and raised in Montana. I've spent most of my life on the West Coast. Most of my trips have been on the West Coast. Uh, so East Coast is like a totally different territory. But what I can say is that I really enjoyed my time in the New York area. I mean, we went around to Manhattan, up and down, Lower Side. Um, you know, upper east, upper west to the Bronx, Brooklyn, Williamsburg, um, all over the place. And you know, you get used to the grime. I, I will say, when I was a little shocked at first, I had a little culture shock going into our neighborhood where Airbnb was. Um, but after a day or two, it was fine. And I didn't also, another thing, I never felt in danger there. I mean, like everybody thinks like it's such a, a crime ridden area and that don't go on the subway at night. Like, we were on subway, like, at 1230 at night, and there was plenty of people out and about. I never, we walked home um, one night from Williamsburg, which is kind of, like, northern side of Brooklyn, back to Airbnb. It was about a mile or so. It took us about 45 minutes, maybe to an hour. Walking back, like, at 11 o'clock at night, and, uh, I mean, we felt fine. I mean, it was kind of an out-of-body experience because there's a lot of, we like, the area that we stayed in, the area that we were walking through that night was like predominantly like Hasidic Orthodox Jews. It was just like big Hasidic Jewish community. And they were out in hordes at like 1130 at night. And yeah, with flip phones and like, like pushing their babies along in the stroller, like at 1130 at night, like they had like one, one of the women was like on a ladder fixing a store sign. It was again out of body i felt like i was in a different country you know there's you're walking by they're speaking yiddish there's hebrew everywhere it was really cool though it was like really awesome to be part of that and um to have that much culture and diversity like from block to block in that city is just it's super cool so yes get that east coast trip new york is for me was a great experience i can't wait to go back and explore i love being a part of that city um again never felt uh in danger or anything it was it was great that's awesome uh good to hear and hope that uh maybe you and i could take a trip out to the east someday and do a rotation of all the baseball Absolutely, stadiums man. out there since they're so close mm -hmm. to each other 
yeah, Philly's only like an hour away. Boston's only a couple hours on the train. I'm down, man. Yeah, that's another. I'll drag you. I'll drag you by the feet into Fenway. Okay, here's the thing. Like, yes, of course, I I hate the culture around the Red Sox, the fan base. I hate the Red Sox, whatever. Fenway Park is an establishment in baseball. I'm a baseball fan first. It's a it's a okay. part of history, so I'd be more than happy to go into Fenway Park. And if you're if you're not nice to people, they'll just put you in the seat behind the column. Then you can't watch the game. <laughs> That's right. Or facing center field. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you mentioned uh, we'll transition real quick, just briefly. I I did move. Uh, my partner Christy and I are down in Portland now, and we were greeted with very hot weather. It mm-hmm. was uh, I think it got over a hundred yesterday, and today is in the 90s um so we are lucky that we got a place with air conditioning which you know everyone from the northwest knows that that's not a given um so we're not we're not suffering by any means with the heat um it's just kind of it's actually probably good timing because we're doing a lot of unpacking in our new place and so we don't necessarily need anything outside right now so good excuse to just unpack our boxes, get things organized as if we weren't going to do those things anyway. Yeah. You know, you but, were telling me that you guys like the first thing you want to do is get everything unpacked. You'll spend 16 hours a day unpacking, getting all done. And I don't think there's did the, anything inherently we, wrong with that. But when you've moved and traveled from cross state lines, you know, get some, get some rest in John, take care of your body. We, uh, we lived in a one bedroom apartment before. And so like half of our boxes were basically just kitchen stuff. And we did finish the kitchen the first day we got here. So I feel like we got the through the hardest room and now it's, you know, we only have like two other rooms so, worth of things. So to when put is away. my room set up? Like when, when will it be ready? There's an me? air mattress. There's an air mattress in there with blankets Great. all ready and sheets. So Pillows? you're good to go. Do I? Is yep. This Airbnb come yep. with pillows. Great, that's all I need. It does Hotel Thorpe? I'll be there tomorrow. In business. <laughs> all right, let's get to the sports world news. So since we last spoke, it feels like an eternity ago. Golden mm-hmm. State Warriors won the NBA championship for the 2022 season. It's like I predicted, and John. In six games uh, over the Boston Celtics, the series, you know, was close through game four and then game five and six i think it was it was warriors time that mm-hmm. that experience and that depth uh, they, they did get some players back from injury um so that helped them a lot but it just boston couldn't keep up they looked uh they looked lost it seemed like most of their offense was trying i know tatum did put up points and he's their guy same with jalen brown but they looked lost, especially like going to the hole. Like they would run down in transition or half court and try to get into the post. And then they were like, what do I, what do I do now? Like almost half of the time, what do I do now? I got here. I don't know what to do. And they were just taking these crazy off balance shots. Um, They weren't hitting their threes when they did get them. Like you said, it it seemed close. I feel like Boston looked like the better team through Game Four. Golden State kind of stole a game or two away in that uh, that time period, but the Game Five and Six was 
it didn't really seem close. Even if the score every now and then would be somewhat close, it never really seemed like Boston, especially in the fourth quarter, had it. And um, Steph just kind of, even in game five, I mean, Steph only had, what, 12 points? And it was an easy win for Golden State. They didn't need him. So really interesting. I really felt like Golden State just showed their experience, um, their championship pedigree, and just put their, their boot on Boston's throat. And Boston didn't know how to respond to it. Yeah, and there's already rumors that Boston is potentially looking for a pretty big move. Um, you know, trying to, I saw things like a couple days after the last game about, you know, Horford is probably on his way out. They're going to try to get somebody else in there that's younger and maybe more athletic, more consistent. You know, we talked about after game one, mm-hmm. Horford was like, oh, this is awesome. He's yeah. <laughs> and then he did nothing. And then he just disappeared. Yeah. yeah. He disappeared. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think Boston will be continue to be a contender next year. But um, do you think they need a point guard? That's the big debate. Point guard, or do they need like a replacement at Horford's position? All right, everybody. Technical difficulties are running rampant right now. It's all the heat in Tacoma. Uh, so I apologize, but John, what were we talking about? We were talking about point guard or another big man to fill in Boston's uh gap that they might have. In, yeah, you're uh, the saying they need a they need a play creator, right? And so, what do you, what do you think? What's your take as being the big NBA man here? I don't know. I mean, it it worked until it didn't. Right? It was like. In, on one hand, I see that perspective, but they also got through a very difficult Eastern Conference with, without a traditional point guard. And so it, like for a while there, for a couple months, it seemed like they defied the odds, you know, and they just, they didn't need a point guard and they got to the finals um, and don't overreact too much. But then I can also see the other argument saying, well, that's great that they got to the finals, but any team in the finals on the other side could game plan and figure them out the way that the Warriors did. Right. Um, so I don't know. They, they've been, the problem is that they've been trying to have a point guard for a while um, and none of them have worked. You know, Kemba Walker came in, disappointment. Kyrie Irving before mm-hmm. that, disappointment. We'll get to him later. Well, they had a good point guard and they shipped his ass away. Are you talking about Rondo back in the... No, I'm talking about Isaiah Thomas. Oh, yeah. And essentially was... killed his career. They did, yeah. And there was some weird injury stuff with that too, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering. That was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, I they have not had a g- good luck with point guards. <laughs> and I don't know if that's like spooking them out at all, you know, where they're like, we finally just got a good cohesive unit and we've got two ball dominant forwards that any other team would die to have in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Let's just see if it'll work giving yeah, them the ball. They've had them for a number of years. And you, like this could be like the culmination of them finally after years of development coming together, but it's not like this like the coach is different and so maybe that has been the X factor for them, but the lineup and the 
like where the ball has gone through hasn't changed in a number of years. It's been Brown and Tatum. So is that good enough? You know, like, did they just come up short and they'll get it next year? Or is they, are they not enough and they need to add something in combination with this new coaching style and emphasis on defense? Like, I, I don't know. In my opinion, I don't, it doesn't seem like they are enough. Like, yeah, they, they got through the Eastern Conference and they beat a lot of good teams, but uh, they looked really bad the last three games. They looked like Golden State had an easy time figuring them out. So I feel like they need something. You know, I'm not as much of an expert as you, but it doesn't seem like it's enough. It's not going to be enough to carry them over the hump, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they just have a delicate balance of not uh, trading away any of the core. You know, I think you have to keep Marcus Smart. You have to keep. Robert Williams, you probably have to keep Derek White. So what can you do with Al Horford and the bench guys? You know, can you get anything of substance at the point guard position uh, for those guys and draft picks? You know, it would be pretty like weaving in free agency talk here. It would be pretty funny if they just came out of nowhere and signed Jalen Brunson, who might be a good fit on that team. Isn't that um, what the, the Knicks are trying to do? Isn't that like the a big push? The Knicks are pulling all the stops to get Brunson. Um, but I, it would be funny. I don't think Boston usually does this, but it would be funny if they just came out of nowhere uh, and got a pretty pretty good free agent point guard. Not a not a max player, but a, a decent Isn't Bradley player. Beal a free agent? Uh, he's working on signing a contract right now, yeah. But... I think he would be a terrible fit there. Because he's, he's yeah, also he's, ball He's got him the ball in his hand, yeah. Yeah. But mm. uh, anyway, we mentioned Kyrie. Let's stay, let's stay in Brooklyn where you were. Yeah, that's so, where I was. I walked right um, by the Barclays Center. Man, I, I do not have much sympathy for this guy anymore. And it's starting to look like the Nets front office is also really just over it at this point you know for to fill people in last three years Kyrie has been out a lot he has not played a full season for a long time um some of those injuries some of it was an unwillingness to play during COVID and then once the vaccine came out it was a unwillingness to get the vaccine and play home games at Barclays Center in Brooklyn uh and i think i think the nets management is just sick of it they it sounds like they are willing to offer him probably a pretty good uh two year deal probably with some stipulations in there that he meets a certain amount of games played criteria but they don't want to go out any longer than 2 years you know in for context like a 5 year contract is the max you can do and typically with a player of kyrie's status they would get signed to a four or five year deal. But the Nets are like, how can we trust you to play three years from now? Like, we don't want to give you guaranteed money that far out into the future. So, you know, the compromise on their end is we'll do two years, but even that makes us nervous. And Kyrie's on the other end saying, like, that's disrespectful. Like, no, you know, no all NBA player gets just a two year deal. 
and so he's kind of threatening to want to be forced out um or he's threatening a sign and trade to try and get brooklyn to get him out of there and then if that happens there's rumors that kevin durant who's really good friends with kyrie irving and basically brought kyrie to brooklyn that kevin durant would want out this is all happening in the week span between the draft and the start of free agency on saturday which is like the hottest point of time in the nba offseason for moves to be made and so like this kyrie stuff has all these ripple effects on kevin durant and then all these other teams that would try to get kevin durant and it's just like no trades or movement is happening because everyone's waiting on Kyrie. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like anybody wants to get Kyrie because of the headache that he brings. And, you know, we talked about um, briefly about, like, the only team that really wants to do a sign-in trade is the Lakers. And the Nets don't, like, there's no package for them to make that work. There's no package that Lakers have to make that work. And so if Kyrie doesn't want to stay with the Nets, he's not going to get paid because he takes his player option. He forfeits whatever 30-something, $34 million that he has. And then he can only sign for, like, I don't know, like $6 million. for He could sign anywhere, but only for, like, $6 million. And I just don't know. You never know with Kyrie, though. Like, if there was any player, I suppose, that could do something weird like that, it could be him. But he's, but it would seem odd because yeah, he's, it would. It would he wants odd. more years on his contract right it now. It would seem odd. I'm not going to say that he's going to do that. It just, um, you just never know what he's going to do. And that's just who he is. I mean, you talk about him, like, kind of holding the rest of free agency ransom. He does that with his teammates. He does that with the team. He does that with his city. Like, he's just... He's so toxic. Yeah, he's so toxic, but he's so good, so it's hard to write him off because it's like like well, yeah, he's toxic and he brings a lot of problems and negative publicity, but he's he's really good and he's really talented and players for some reason still want to play with him, so maybe you know, he can bring in more players and it just it never seems to be a positive result. Every place that he's gone since he's left Cleveland has been like basically a bomb has ex- exploded. He's just left. There was a good meme that I saw. Lake. Sorry to interrupt you, but there's a good meme that I saw of in the dark night where the Joker is running out, uh, out of the hospital with the ready to set the bomb off mm-hmm. and uh, has, you know, is, is in the nurse's gear and everything. And it was like, Kyrie ever since you know 2016 or whatever it was 2017 and I thought that that was a pretty good uh pretty good meme of what Kyrie is like he is the Joker just leaving every situation worse than he found it and running away from the collapsing building and he always like he kind of always talks himself up as being this sort of philanthropist and he's bigger than basketball and He's going to do what he thinks is right for himself and his community and his people. But ultimately, he always somehow centers the story around himself, no matter where he goes. So I just think he's trouble. And he's 30 years old now, making $35 million a year. I mean, 
the Nets just, I guess, they're in a predicament. And like you, I think you said this too, was that like, if he goes, then Kevin Durant's not going to stay. And so he's going to request, request a trade. Like, again, he just, it just leaves so much destruction in his wake. So it'll be really interesting to see how, how things unfold with him. But it seems to me like his time in Brooklyn is done one way or another. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but one way or another, it's done. Yeah. The other part about this that gets forgotten is, you know, there's the Kevin Durant fallout, but there's also Ben Simmons. I mean, Ben <laughs> you know, Simmons if, was such a bad trade for them. Like that's they got he got like it, the two worst, like least reliable players in the league on the same team. But if you're Brooklyn front office and Kyrie's out the door and then Kevin Durant's like, I'm not sticking around here with Ben Simmons and a bunch of vet minimum guys. Then what do you do with Ben Simmons? Because he's not somebody to build around. <laughs> so it's like you could have three all NBA players on a different team next season, which would be pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons is like, it, it's difficult because he's got to play. Like, are you losing anything when he hasn't even given you anything? You're, yeah, I mean, you, maybe you're selling him for like pennies on the dollar for what it took to acquire him and the James Harden deal just four months ago. Right. Like, that's the crazy part about it. This all is like, the Brooklyn Nets have only been that trio for two seasons. Uh, basically, yeah, and they only and played like, like a what, year and a half calendar. together, anyway. So, pretty yeah. interesting. Um, there was a there was a fun uh, little meme that, or not meme, but you know how fans will do those jersey swap photos right. of like players that they want to see on the same team together. So, Damian Lillard, I just got to mention this. He posted a picture on Instagram of him and Kevin Durant in Blazers jerseys to troll all is of us blazers you, is fans. that what you sent me on instagram in the story yes expired? yes it was okay so damian lillard posted it himself um and then there was a, a couple other pl players on the team that like you know kind of retweeted it on on twitter and stuff but i mean kevin durant you know could he come back to the northwest he said he always loved seattle he loved being around the northwest uh he wants out of brooklyn and he wants a point guard that is extremely talented and can help him also on the court. Just selfless, you know. It'd be but so he doesn't want the baggage because like Dame. Dame is essentially like Kyrie with the complete opposite personality. With humanity, yeah, with a sense of humanity to him. So, how much should I get my hopes up, Bobby? Like, uh, I'm thinking there's like a ten percent chance. No, not at all. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Don't. It's not <laughs> happening. Come on. Ten percent chance is what. Who would I, they trade for? There. How would they get him? Tell me. They just they just drafted Shaden Sharp. Um, so they trade him. Was, they trade him. They trade Anthony Simons. They trade as many first round draft picks as the Nets would like. But so the Nets the might not years. have that much leverage. You know, like they probably try to package Ben Simmons in the trade. <laughs> you know, I'll take him too. I mean, if you had Dame, Ben Simmons, and Durant, you could do worse. It's true. Yeah, keep dreaming, though. Um, there, there was a rumor that Phoenix is actually the best spot because they could do a... They don't want Aiton back, so they could trade Aiton to the Brooklyn Nets, 
and a, like what for Durant? Mikhail Bridges and a bunch of first round picks for Durant. Do you think that makes sense? Like, yeah, though? that's probably I feel like Devin Booker is. Do you, th- do you think that makes sense? That trio. Be really hard to stop them offensively. Like Chris Paul's just slicing and dicing, setting up Durant and Booker. That would be really hard to defend. I just I think Durant has to be the guy, and I don't know if Devin Booker right. is willing to step down from being the guy in Phoenix. He's he's got a pretty big ego too. And I just it's not the same as like you know when Durant went to Golden State. Like Steph has he doesn't have an ego. He just wants to win. And so he stepped down for a couple of years and everybody's like, oh, okay, well, you know, he was amazing when multiple MVPs, best shooter in the league. And now he's kind of stepping down to this role for Durant and then Durant leaves and you're like, oh, wait, no, Steph still is like one of the top three players in the league. I don't think Devin Booker, I don't know if he's that guy that's willing to do that, especially as he seems to be coming yeah. into like the prime of his career and his most marketable time. So I don't know. I'm not sure about it that. Just, it just it might be the best package that the Nets could find. No, I, no, that's a good point. No, and I think that could be the most tempting thing for Brooklyn, because uh, it doesn't seem like Aiton wants to be back in Phoenix, and Phoenix doesn't really care about him. So, yeah, I, you know, we were talking about this, you know, with baseball is like um, in football and other things like the NBA. There's a lot of excitement after the finals, and this is why is because you know once free agency hits. All of these things start moving, so it'll be, it's Thursday, by the way, as free agency starts, uh, and it'll usually like right at the deadline something happens. So it'll be exciting to see. I, I mean, what do you think on the deadline? What what do we see? Yeah, it's funny because the NBA has these non tampering laws. Technically, that, yeah, um, and then people sign like at midnight. It, like it's so funny because you're not technic teams are not technically allowed to like meet with agents and give them like the terms of the deal well they they can meet i think casually but they can't like come up with terms of here's the money here's the years and then like last year it was so funny because literally like you said at midnight or like at the deadline i think it was a minute before you know you start getting the tweet tweets from adrian wojanowski and shams sharania of the athletic of like these deals that are signed like 30 seconds before the deadline actually hits and it's like oh you know there's no way that they just met you know in the five minutes leading up to to the deadline to like put together an extremely complicated contract so yeah there's definitely tampering going on and anyway uh so the big name free agents just real quick are like Jalen Brunson, um DeAndre Ayton, obviously, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, uh Bradley Beal. With Harden, Beal, and Irving, it's it could be anticlimactic because they have like team or player options. So or I I think they're all player I think options. Bradley so like, Beal, I'm kind of looking at a list right now. I think he says he's an unrestricted free agent. Okay. Uh, there's so when they have their player options like they can just come back on that final year of that deal um, it, rather than signing with a new team but it'll be interesting those are the big names it's a pretty weak free agent class outside of those though um, I mean Zach Levine you get kind of I think down. is an interesting name he is yep uh, and then you get down into like the 
Anthony Simons, Colin Sexton, Range. Um, those are you know two young players that are looking for their first big payday. Uh, this is all off the top of my head right now, but Miles Bridges is another big max name that's out there for Charlotte, who's kind of a two-way wing that plays the three and the four. So I think there's not as many free agents up this year as there usually are. So the free agent signings might not be as exciting, but I think there's going to be a lot of trades that revolve around sure. the signings because the NBA has kind of turned to this sign and trade type league where it's like the way that players move is actually by signing a contract with the team that they were with before the deadline. And then that team trades that them away on that new deal before they ever play a game on that new deal. Uh, and that's kind of how they make the money work. So just off the top of your head, real quick, okay. If I give you Kyrie Irving, uh, I'm going to pick Zach Levine because I'm interested. DeAndre Ayton. Uh, and just for shits and gigs, Russell Westbrook, because he technically does have a player option. He's not going to bust out of his $42 million, but between those players, where do they play next year? Just off the top of your head. Yeah, so you said Kyrie Irving is the number one. Kyrie Irving. I'm going to say the Knicks. The Knicks? All right. Okay. I think he wants the, I think he wants the money. Okay. I, I think they'll pay him. They're the team they're the front office that's dumb enough to pay him. Um okay, then Zach Levine. Chicago. He stays in Chicago. Stays with Chicago. Okay. Um DeAndre Ayton. Detroit. Detroit. Why Detroit? They've been clearing a bunch of cap space. Uh They've I mean, got they've got a ton of sure. room to sign him. Big drafts the last two years, Cade Cunningham and uh Jaden Ivey. So And and DeAndre Ayton's still twenty four, I believe. So like he does fit the timeline of a rebuilding team. He would be on the slightly older end, but like that's still young enough that you can rebuild around him. Oh, here's another one. Bradley Beal. I just talked about him. Stays in Washington. What do you think? Yeah, I think he stays in Washington. Stays in Washington. Don't know why, but sure. And uh, just for shits and gigs, because this is a huge debate. Russell Westbrook, does he stay, stay in L.A.? Is he immovable? Yeah, L.A. doesn't have any options. Yeah. Uh, their, their only option is to trade Anthony Davis. Gotcha. Yeah, and if I think they that's want what I to get, If they want to get, if they want to sh shake things up, I think he's the only player, like, Outside of LeBron, obviously, but I think you because I think Anthony Davis could be on the decline of his career. So I think there's an argument to trade him now and see what you can possibly get back well, to help. I know LeBron. you're a notorious hater of Anthony Davis, so like you said, get a get get as much value back from him while he's still up there. He just like he had a really good run in the bubble, but. Outside of that, the last three seasons has been it's been a mixed bag. All right. He's been inconsistent. I'll say All right. That. So let's move on from free agency. We'll talk about we're going to record later this week again when, you know, likely a lot of these moves have been made. We'll talk about that. Um, another big piece in the NBA that happened over the last two weeks was uh, the NBA draft. And I know you put a lot of time in. You said you were studying because you were done with school. You like you had like from like morning till till nighttime where you were 
researching podcasting taking notes um give me just some initial reactions from the nba draft did you agree with the top three yeah i agreed with the top three so it went palo bancaro who's a seattle native by the way um parents went to UW. uh he went to the orlando magic chet holmgren out of gonzaga went to oklahoma city and then which would have been the sonics uh bummer but we won't live in the past and then uh jabari smith jr went to houston rockets that was the top three consensus like the entire draft season right. so that was pretty boring it just seemed like the, the order only was sh- kind of switching around every once in a while and it felt like um jabari was supposed to go number one up until draft day and then it switched he was I don't know how much you were following this because you were in New York, but there was a huge shift in the betting markets. I don't know if you follow betting markets. I do not. But (laughs) no, I I don't. But like it comes across my feed. And so I saw this as I was like, you know, looking for draft rumors and stuff. And like the betting markets had Jabari Smith as the favorite, you know, for the weeks, weeks, weeks leading up to the draft. And then there's this huge wild swing the night before the draft at like midnight Pacific time where all of a sudden Bancaro became the favorite and his odds just like increased 20 fold, you know, and then two hours later it reversed back to Jabari. So the morning of the draft, it was like basically back to where it had been. And the, some of the people I follow were just like, this has never happened in like the sports betting super world. Weird. Where, like, yeah. It's super weird. Such a huge, so there must have been like a leak that came out of Orlando that's like, yeah, we're actually going to take Paolo. And then there, there was some correction that came after that. But anyway, it, it was almost like it was foreshadowed the night before if you were staying up late and kind of paying attention. But by the time the morning came, it was kind of forgotten about again. So, you know, outside the top three, uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions here because I did not research much of this on my own. Like I said, I was in New York. I paid attention a lot to, to baseball. You side were like it. a mile away from the draft. I too. was, it was actually literally on draft day. We were, we were walking by that area. We didn't quite go up to Barclays that day, but like I was a subway underneath it. Like, and I had no idea that it was happening that day. So that was pretty cool. I roughly debated going down, just kind of take a peek at it. But I th- we had like we had put in like sixty thousand steps in like two days. Um, so once we got back, we were not moving. Um, anyway, out of the top three, who has the biggest impact quicker immediately? Mm-hmm. I think Paolo probably is like the the day one ready to go, ready to insert into your starting lineup. Do you, th- uh, do you think the he'll, magic? He'll score a lot. Do you think the magic? I think you were saying to me like you don't know if Suggs and him are a good combination or that's their recipe for success. Do you think they flirt with the playoffs next year with that lineup or what do you think? I don't think they're ready for the playoffs. I think Suggs maybe like people have soured on him too much now because he had so much hype coming in, you know, like that UCLA shot in the tournament just like catapulted him into like really high expectations probably unfairly and then he had a disappointing rookie year relative to those expectations but like there were some actually solid parts of his game that showed up as a rookie so 
if if he comes out and has a better sophomore season, I wouldn't be surprised. But I I still think Orlando's too far sure. away from the playoffs. What um what was the biggest surprise of the draft to you? Because I know you put a lot of time into this. Uh, I probably one of the biggest surprises was like AJ Griffin going, I think fifteenth, so fifteenth or sixteenth. Atlanta. So he right? was uh, yeah. So he was um, also on Duke next to Paulo Bancaro, and he was like kind of some people before the tournament thought he would be like the fifth pick, and so he went down to like eleven spots basically over the course of the tournament to the draft. Uh, over injury concerns uh he he's had a couple knee issues in his young mm-hmm. career yeah he didn't which is always he scary. wasn't playing well in the tournament at all i feel like he was kind of non-existent so i kind of get that yeah what do you think is the biggest um, steal of the draft well i'm gonna do this like from an unbiased perspective okay but i am gonna say shaden sharp okay. for the blazers even though he's i don't think it's a great out. I don't think it's a great fit for the Blazers, so I just want to clarify that. But like, there were pretty like serious analysts that know a lot more than I do and scouts that had him in the top three, top four of their draft boards. Interesting. And he fell to seven. Well, he's he's supposed to be he's supposed to kind of like be this raw talent that like does the things that superstars do. Like he kind of has that look to his game. Mm-hmm where he can create his own offense just as a one-man wrecking ball, basically. However, as you mentioned, he sat out his first year at Kentucky to, quote, get his body right. Uh, Whatever that means. So you have to wonder, like, where's his maturity right. level? Where's his uh, basketball IQ? Missing a year of developmental time when you're 18, 19 years old is a big deal. Uh, and he just kind of decided that it was him and his agent decided that it was more beneficial to be a mystery box than to actually play. And that's such like a dangerous precedent for the NBA. Definitely the first time I've seen or heard of something like that. And, um, the definition of high risk, high reward. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, for you, I hope <laughs> whether it's a trade for Durant or he uh, explodes onto the scene, I hope it works out. Portland. Um, yeah, I'm really hoping that Sean Marks over in Brooklyn loves Shaden Sharp and is just like, yeah, that's the guy. If we're going to get rid of Durant, that's the you guy. You never know. Need. Maybe that's the play. Um, before we move on from the draft and the NBA, um, shout out to Andrew Nemart from Gonzaga going in the second yeah. round to uh, Indiana. I love Nemart, and uh, it's good to see another Zag. Obviously, Chet was a shoe in, but. Um, a couple of other Zags had declared for the draft and then dropped out, went back to school, which is for me is a good thing. I love seeing Timmy and um, Salas and Bolton come back, but um, cool to see Nemhart. Uh, you know, they, like, it was the first pick in the second round, so um, pretty cool. Yeah, hope to, hope to see. He was kind of all over. He was kind of all over the place on the mocks. Like there were certain mocks that didn't even have him drafted in the second round at all. Mm-hmm. And then there were some that had him as a late first, and that was kind of seen as like the highest he could possibly go. So the fact that he was the first pick of the second round has got to make him pretty happy. Yeah, I think. absolutely. So pretty cool. Two zags off the board. 
Um, I know we focused a lot on the NBA today, but uh, a lot of news, finals, drafts, free agency, all that coming up. But we're going to transition into our main main uh, piece of cake, which is uh, which is baseball. Um, and the first story, unfortunately, that I have to talk about is uh, my New York Yankees getting no hit by the Astros a day after I went to Yankee Stadium. So I can't, I can never go back to Yankee Stadium, clearly. Um, some sort of bad toxicity I left in that place, and I care too much about the Yankees to ever go back. Uh, a horrible. <laughs> We got no hit for 58 innings straight. Or not 58 innings, 58 at-bats straight from game two of the series to game four. Uh, so the no-hitter, which which in the third game was combined no-hitter. Uh, I'm not even confident. I don't even know who started that game. Uh, it was somebody with like a 540 RA. And we just lost it. We lost the ability to swing the bat. And the last time I believe that the Yankees were no-hit, and at Yankee Stadium was a combined no-hitter by the Astros, which was like in 2005 or 2006 or something like that. So um, really stings to be no-hit by the team that I hate the most. Um, but we split that series, and a win is and losses are the only things that really count. Um, but not... I almost went to that game. We were debating going to that game. We went to the night game before. It was a 1, one o'clock, 1 p.m. game. Um, but it was our last day in New York, so we decided, you know what? We got more things we want to do um, rather than you know spending hours getting up to the Bronx and going to the game. And thank God I did not go. That would have been tragic. And Garrett Cole was pitching. And he was too. great, too. I mean, he only gave up one run in like seven innings, and the bullpen gave up two. Um, also, Bobby, it was Christian Javier who has a 2.73 ERA. Yeah, now, Put some respect yeah, on the damn name. Now he does. He didn't beforehand. Uh, disappointing. Yeah, super disappointing. But <laughs> hey, you have to, we have to talk about it. Yeah, we have to talk yeah, about it. We struck out, were, I think, 15 uh, times that game. It was just br- it was brutal. Brutal. You guys uh, were beaten up on them before that point, though. The Astros? Yeah. No, I mean, not really. At game one, we had a comeback. Um, we were down by three in the ninth. We scored four in the ninth to walk it off. Game two, which is a game that I was at, we lost that game. I guess game. you split the series. Yeah, we lost that game yeah. three to one. And we went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position with like 15 runners left on base. And that's when it started. I don't think we got a hit in the last three innings of that game. Then we didn't get a hit the whole next game and then we didn't get a hit for the first five innings of the final game of the series so something disappeared it got really hot i don't know but we did split the series uh, and ultimately so i do have to ask up. you uh how was seeing my my favorite pitcher justin verlander all time yeah how was that <laughs> um, how does he look in person I mean, he looks exactly the same as on TV. I mean, because I was sitting behind. We had good seats behind the Yankees dugout, so the home home side. So he he never really walked close to me. You know, he always walked off in the opposite direction. He didn't get many strikeouts. He only got like one or two strikeouts. But holy hell, we got a lot of pop-ups, like on the infield and right behind the infield. I think, 
I think 10 of our 27 outs were pop-ups. It was insane. Um, Aaron, it's pretty crazy Aaron Judge how... hit a ball literally at the top of the fence in the first inning and got caught. Josh Donaldson hit a ball to the top of the fence, actually hit off the fence. So we had a couple close warding track shots against Justin Verlander. Just didn't equate to anything, unfortunately. But I know, I know he's your boy. And he, uh, it's just pretty crazy how, like, he's got to be one of the best just IQ pitchers in the game. Like, to not, to have all these injuries throughout his career and then, like, still be able to be effective without striking guys out and having the velocity that he once did. Like, it's just very yeah, impressive. It wasn't like he was getting soft contact necessarily, but, I mean, he was missing the barrel of a bat, and that's all that matters. I mean, we had a couple, quite a few hard hit balls, but they were just right at people. and um, But he knows how to work it, man. He knows how to get the contact that he needs. And, I mean, ultimately we lost that game. So there was a lot of people were... <laughs> we had these, like, very stereotypical like Bronx natives sitting like the row in front of us um, that had some pretty colorful comments for uh, Justin Verlander. So that was entertaining. Of course they did. I hope you were defending him. Uh, I certainly was not. No, no. Amusement comes to neutral mind. party. Much amusement. Um, All right. On to Boston. Yeah, man. Two things. These are awful topics. Uh, Boston is surging i think they're eight and two in their last 10 games uh, they have one of the better records i think maybe the braves had the best record in june but i think boston had the second best record in june and they've come all the way up they were in last place i think at some point in april in the al east and now they've surged up to second place they've surpassed tampa bay they've surpassed toronto and both of those teams are kind of downtrain again you know it's their ebb and flows of the season we'll see what happens but we're in late june and boston's 11 games above 500 second place um i think uh, they have the number one wild card spot right now so my prediction of them missing the playoffs is not panning out and uh they're hot they're just a super hot team we knew their offense would be there but their pitching's showing up now and that's that's the scary thing for them if they can pitch they're gonna hit it's it's simple as that but Again, I'm not confident in their pitching still. I think it will be a struggle, but they put themselves in a position now that they can compete. Yeah, they've gone on these swings this year. Yep. Um, so it's still it's really hard for me to kind of get a get an idea of where they really are. But yeah, they, they might be that annoying team that gets into the playoffs and you just kind of are like, you don't know what to think of them. They could lose in a one game play-in kind of situation or they could be in a difficult opponent you just don't know and they've had i'm looking at their their schedule right now they've kind of had a mixed gambit they've mostly been playing teams below 500 which has helped them you know but they just swept the guardians who were another hot team coming into that series so you know sweeping a team like that and they beat st louis two out of three um so they're not just beating up on bad teams they're beating good teams too so you got to give them credit for that and again the offense is just clicking it seems like they score five plus runs a game the last 20 games they're scary lineup super scary especially that uh with devers bogarts and martinez i, I don't know if you're gonna find a better 
two, three, four in the lineup than what they have. It's a lot of batting average. Really high batting average. Like, I mean, we're talking like three, their two, three, five, uh, four hitters are like top five in batting average in, in the league. It's pretty impressive. And Story's been climbing up, obviously. He's, he was really hot. I think he's trending down again, but the potential's there. The power is there. So he's another bat um, that can do some damage. Um, before we get into injuries, let's talk about the Mariners. What happened yesterday? Okay. What happened yesterday, John? Yeah, so as far as I understand it, on we'll go back to Saturday. Uh, apparently, there was a pitch in on the so Mariners were playing the Angels. Uh, surprise, surprise. You know, they always play there. I, I feel like they've been playing the Angels for two weeks straight. It certainly feels uh, like it. <laughs> but anyway, they, uh, they, there was a pitch that was high and inside to Trout near his head. And then he had a, a quote, I think, after that game saying, like, you know, hit me on the hip all you want, hit me on the leg, my ribs, but don't go for the head. Um, and I, who knows if it was just a wild pitch or if there was anything intentional about it, but he was clearly not happy about it. And then on Sunday, the team has played the final game of that series. And my understanding is that the Angels kind of switched up their rotation to ha- put in an opener with the sole intent of getting ejected from the game after going at uh, some of the Mariners and hitting them at the beginning of the game. So they start, let's see, they started this guy named Andrew Wants. Never heard of him. <laughs> uh, he's a pitcher for the Angels. And he came in for one inning and the intent was go hit Julio, go hit JP Crawford, go hit Jesse Winker. Uh, because I believe so the lineup was Crawford, Julio, Suarez, Winker. Uh, and he hit Winker and the Mariners were just like they were fed up with it because they could see what the Angels were doing. And so Winker just goes over to, uh, yeah, he's like chirping, yelling, and he's as he goes back to the dugout. And then, for some reason, something triggers him to like run towards the Angels bullpen. And then there's an all-out brawl pretty quickly between, like a bench clearing brawl between both teams. Winker is just like livid. Um, you can actually see in the video him like punching. Like going, not just like fake. Oh, no, it was a brawl. Stuff, yeah, they were. He was like were actually down. punching guys. Guys were on the ground. Um, Justin Upton, who was an angel for a long time, but is now on the Mariners, was like at the bottom of that pile. And Mike Trout came in. Mike Trout with his muscles. I mean, he's got to be one of the strongest guys on that field. He like just went in and saved Justin Upton from the opposing team because he was i guess worried that upton was actually hurt uh, at the bottom of that pile um so then things like kind of cool off a little bit and then there's like the second round of fighting that i believe was again triggered by winker out onto the dirt in the infield (laughs) and the the bullpens of both teams come running onto the field and i don't know how long it lasted because i didn't watch it live but uh it's just like 
these teams have been playing each other clearly too much the last two weeks and are just really tired of it. And I think if if it is true that the Angels management intentionally put in a starter to then hit the Mariners, that's just messed up. Uh, it, there's no, I mean, come on. There's no reason for that. It's, that's true. Like, Phil Nevin is an old school type of guy. And uh, just another case of how poorly he's been managing that team. Here's the thing. Justin Upton, you're talking about him. He got hit in the face by Michael Lorenzen. And we talked about... The week sli- before, The right? week before. And we talked about, okay, it was an accident. These slippery balls... You know, the quality of the Major League Baseballs they've been distributing have been really poor. There have been huge issues about it. We talked about that, okay? So, Justin Upton got hit in the face. Mike Trout got potentially thrown out, but not actually hit. And so, the next day, they put in this starter to go bean all the stars on the Mariners. It doesn't make sense. Like, they still haven't hit any of your players. Like, what are you retaliating for? It's like, well, you threw out Mike Trout. Well, you hit Justin Upton in the face. And that's what Winker, like, you can see, I was watching some stuff on John Boy. Winker goes up to Nevin. He's like, we didn't even hit him. We didn't even hit him. What are you doing? We didn't even hit him. Just piss poor management. And, like, are the Angels in a better spot with Nevin than they were with Madden? I, I know there's more to comp. Like, they weren't going to re-sign him. They just thought we might as well pull the trigger now. But, man, like, they, they've still been hovering, I guess, around 500, but... That, that team's going nowhere with him. And the team's just, it's just like a sinking ship now. It feels like it. And on the other side, I mean, re- oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, just from an actual player's performance standpoint, like, Noah Syndergaard started out the year great. He's really regressed. Reed Detmers, who threw that complete game shutout, no he hitter. is sent back down to the minors. Yep. No hitter. He sent back down to the minors because he's been bad. Like, yeah, the things are yeah, Mike Trout's going been downhill for the Angels. Another MVP type year. He's been hot as hell, but who else do they have? Rendon's out. Otani's been yep. kind of coming back, but like, if you don't have pitching, you can't get all your offense from two guys. And there's a poorly constructed team outside of that, poorly managed. Um, now the other side, the Mariners, they, what they've had that brawl, they got all fired up. They've won five games in a row. I think they're still like six games below 500. Uh, am I right on that? Or four games below? And they also lost the brawl game, which is the worst. <laughs> like the, the angels that actually came out with the win there, which was just unfortunate. There are six games under 500 so, with a negative one. Yeah, run and Ty France is now injured and we don't know. Which is my next topic. The first like real trade of the season is the Mariners got Carlos Santana from the Royals. I don't know who in exchange for. Doesn't matter. Um, Carlos Santana is a first baseman slash DH. Clearly is there to fill in the gap while Ty France is gone. And uh, <laughs> it's an interesting move. I, I, I wouldn't think that the Mariners would be buyers right now. And Carlos Santana, I mean, Ty France is an all-star this year. Carlos Santana has been terrible the last couple seasons. The only thing I saw was, like, in the last 10 games, he has, like, a 400 batting average and, like, a 1083 OPS. Very cool. What about the other 60 games in the season? Um, He's at the twilight of his career. 
weird move. Yeah, Santana's always been a terrible batting average guy. He could, he's I got, know that from my he's got power, but... time in fantasy baseball. Uh, he walks a lot, but terrible batting average. So I, I don't know. Really interesting. Like, like yeah, we're gonna we're still in it. So we got Carlos Santana to fill in for Ty France. So I don't know. I don't know what that says if Ty France is only going to be out like a month and they just want to make sure they don't fall out of it. Because Carlos Santana yeah, I, certainly I isn't it, the guy that's going to hold him off the rest of the year. It does say that Depoto wants to keep them in it, right? Like, it's signaling yeah, absolutely that. absolutely it does. It's interesting, Which though. is a news in and of itself. It's interesting, though. So, I don't know. I don't know how that, what kind of effect that's going to have. And like you mentioned, they lost that game. So, they had won five in a row before that. But still six games below 500. And with that AL East, I just don't... I don't see him climbing out of that hole, but could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, a little quick, quick uh, update on the injuries. So we have some big names that are out. Uh, Bobby, you here have Betts, Harper, Machado, Acuna, and Torres. In France, um, I wa- talked about. In France. Um, I saw the... So first, the Machado one. It sounds like he is going to come back if he hasn't already, right? Like it was, it looked more serious than it actually was. Am I right on that? Um, well, he sprained his ankle and he's still been working out. And I think they're just, it's the same thing. Torres, Glaber Torres has kind of a sprained ankle situation. So just all these injuries kind of happen at once. And, but to your point, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be an IL stint for him. It's just something to note. Yeah. But Harper got hit on thumb. Yep. With a like a ninety seven mile. And he was already fastball. injured. He he couldn't throw. <laughs> and now he can't yeah. now he can't hit. So And now and now all the Phillies fans are like, now our season is basically over. A hundred percent. Which is kinda true. Uh so that's a little sad and you know, the end of June to see your star player get hit like that and he was visibly upset when he went off the field because he knew what it, it what it. Yeah, meant he knew too, it was I broken, think, that... and like they've been kind of climbing up and kind of hanging around, and he's having an MVP caliber season again. Without him, that team is. I mean, we got Schwarber's gonna hit forty bombs and hit one ninety seven. Like that's not enough. It's not enough. Yeah, and then uh, what's the bets injury? So Betts has been out for a while now, and I believe I want to say, give me a second here. I gotta actually find it. It's not on my list here. I think it's a shoulder issue, um, and they just got somebody to replace him because he's gonna be out for a hot minute, uh, and which is a shame because he he was having a, is a rib fracture. Is it a rib fracture? Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, and that uh, I'm just reading this here. So now it's saying he's unlikely to return. Let me read this real quick. Avoid an injury though. Keep an eye on the X-ray negative. He was uh, just going to be on his face fractured. See him in roughly two weeks. Bets first feel that is no longer to return within a two-week time frame. Uh, due to, uh, 15 has resumed, uh, hasn't resumed. So he still hasn't resumed baseball activities yet. But could start this week. 
and then ramp up. And I think you're talking about Trace Thompson as his replacement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And fun fact, Trace Thompson is brothers with Clay Thompson. Oh, same guy. Yeah. What's he, where did he come up? The Diamondbacks? Is that right? I think that's who he came up with. I have no idea. Um, so Betts is out, too, for a little bit. Fractured ribs, man. I think... Uh, you remember Hanley Ramirez back in the day? He got plunked right in the ribs in the like the ALDS. And he had been on fire that season. And the Dodgers, like after that point, he was not the same player. The Dodgers lost the series. And then he his career was kind of over after that. I'm not well, I guess he went to Boston, had a couple good years, but um that's tough, man. Fractured ribs and especially from your biggest bats. It's, I mean, that's painful. So they got to be careful with that. Yeah, the Dodgers are starting to get, I mean, they have so much talent that, you know, they'll still make the playoffs. But like, this is where their depth is coming in to save them because yeah. you know, Walker Bueller is out. Mookie Betts is out. Uh, Max Muncy is still Up not a baseball Blake player. Trin- <laughs> <laughs> Blake Trinan's out. Um Oh, and they just lost, they just lost. Was it Daniel Hudson? Yeah, I, say, I think they just lost another. Torres ACL. So they've yeah, just been he, hit and hit and hit with injuries. Again, any team that could withstand it with the depth that they have is the Dodgers. But we'll see how that goes. And Acuna too. He's he just got back, and I think he'll be fine. He fouled the ball off of his foot. They don't think it's broken. I think it's just a deep bruise, maybe a week or so. But it's kind of unfortunate to see him go back down for even a little bit i think most the dodgers i i would say are the most likely to weather to weather injuries but they've just had so many and they'll make the playoffs but you gotta imagine like in what state without all these big pieces and what kind of run can they make in the playoffs i think machado is going to come back padres will be fine you know cunha will come back torres is still a day to day and that's kind of a me thing i'm looking at him he twisted his ankle um trying to go back to third base his cleat spike got caught on something and twisted it but it looks like he'll just have to sit out for a while i think the one big injury here is harper that um kind of derails the phillies who are kind of resurging a little bit i think with this that that's it season's over yeah um should we move on to the uh brighter topics of power rankings yes sir um why don't you once you start it off we haven't done a power ranking in a little bit i think we'll kind of format it once a month this is for june we're at the end of june end of july we'll do another power rankings um and then you know like as we go like it's going to be more and more solidified because we're getting deeper into the season so you know those first couple that we did things are flopping all over the place but i think these are going to stick and be more consistent as we go so who do you got john who's number 10 for you yeah number 10 is the tampa bay rays who are 40 and 32 5 and 5 in their last 10 uh and they got this guy named isak paredes i hate that guy three home runs on the yankees four home runs in that series against us because he had a home run the next day too yeah, it's just pretty funny, and I think I mostly put this on here to get a reaction out of you. Um, Got it. Congratulations. Some, somehow their offense just 
you know, it like keeps trucking along, even okay, though they don't have a lot of like. I have to say something about the Rays' offense. I've never seen a team luck into more runs than the Rays. They must have the lowest exit velocity of any team that scores runs. They have like the most infield hits down the third base line. It makes me want to stab. I want to headbutt a knife every time I watch them swing. They swing the bat. They hit a centimeter of the ball, and it dribbles 40 feet down the third base line, and they get a hit. And they do that three times in an inning, and they win the game. I've never seen a team as lucky as they are. It pisses me off. See, this is why I put that in there. That was exactly the reaction. You're talking about Isaiah Thank you, Prades. The dude had four home runs going into that series. He hit four home runs against us. He's fun. It was, it was really fun to follow the Rays' social media Unbelievable. for a few days. Because <laughs> they were just like, oh, look, he did it again. Um, they have a good, good Twitter follow if you need one. Uh, at number nine, I have the Atlanta Braves who are still second in their division. They are five and five in their last 10 and 42 and 32 overall. So 10 games above 500 is pretty good considering where they were at the end of April. Mm -hmm. And end of May, really. They they have no competition past them. You know, like Phillies, Marlins, Nationals, like... Atlanta can just do whatever they want, and they're going to be second in that division. The question is, can they make a big push? They're five games behind the Mets. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will, but they're still within striking distance. All right, number eight is the Minnesota Twins, the team that Bobby, Bobby loves to uh, forget, even though they have been the division leaders for most of the season in the AL Central. 41 and 33 with a plus 32 run differential. They're just kind of a meh team um, that gets a meh placement in the power rankings at number eight. Uh, Number seven is the Brewers, who are missing one of their main reporter or one of their main pitchers. (laughs) Said reporters. Uh, Missing a beat writer. They are missing. Yeah. (laughs) But they are leading their division in... The NL Central, 42 and 33, 7 and 3 in their last 10. And uh, what's his face? Corbin Burns just continues to be really freaking good. Um, so that's why I have them there. Any comments on the Brewers, Twins, or Braves yet? Or you want I got many comments, right? but I'll let you finish. Yeah, I'll let you finish. Right. Well, well, let's go through the power rankings and then I will, I will give you my, my take. Okay, number six, Boston Red Sox. We talked about them already surging uh, in a tough division, the toughest division. Number five might surprise you. I have the Dodgers at number five, who uh, just, like I said, with with Betts and Bueller and Muncie and their their, uh, relief pitching now starting to get banged up, I'm like, I don't have as much faith in them being like a number one team. But the fact that they have two star players out and they're just number five on the power rankings shows you that I'm not too worried about them. Number four, I have the Mets. And I just realized <laughs> that I put the Mets down Damn, twice. I didn't know you were uh, such a big fan of the Mets, John. 
Well, it's funny because you kept giving me a hard time for how I don't respect the Mets. And then this week, I have the They're Mets ranked at every number two spot. and number four. Every spot in the power rankings is crazy. I'm I'm going to sub that out for the I'm, San Diego I was going to say, I think you're missing the Padres on there. Yeah, number four is the Padres, whose pitching continues to impress, I would say. And then, like... They apparently are going to be very aggressive with Machado coming back. Like, it sounds like he's not going to miss much time at all. And they still have Fernando Tatis sitting in the wings. Yeah, he had a setback, um, unfortunately. He was supposed to be back he did. by now. He did. Um, but, you know, he can maybe after the trade deadline or something come back and give that team a boost to try and give the uh, Dodgers a run for their money. Because the Padres are only two games behind yeah. the Dodgers, which is pretty crazy. And then number three, I have the Astros. Maybe one of the most consistent teams, would we say? They're sitting at 45 and 27, 7 and 3 in their last 10. I feel like they're just going to be 7 and 3, 6 and 4 for the rest of the season. Yeah, in, especially with that division that they Any 10 game stretch. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then number two, I have the Mets, and number one, I have the Yankees. So good time to be a citizen of New York. Certainly is. It's it's hard to argue though. I mean, the two best records in baseball uh, live in New York. Um. So before I get to my commentary, uh, I'm go over my top ten, my power rankings as of June. Uh, number ten, I have the Twins. As you said, very meh. Uh. They lost that division lead for a little bit. Uh, Cleveland came storming back, so I, I still feel I still feel pretty good about the reliability of the Twins. Twins sitting at uh, their division leader though right now. I couldn't leave them out. Number nine, I have Boston surging. Um, still questions around their pitching, but they've been playing really good as of late. Offense is obviously crazy good. Um, and I think. Um, let me look at this. Yeah, they have a plus 65 run differential, which is one of the better run differentials in baseball, not just the American League East um, right now. Again, that offense is crazy good. Brewers, number eight. Um, oh, here, I did do that. I did mess up. I'll put St. Louis here. So I put Red Sox in Boston. So um, St. Louis, I will put, I'm going to kind of revamp this. St. Louis, I'll put up there. Um, behind Boston, because I think Boston's a better team. St. Louis will put at 9, Boston at 8. St. Louis, crazy good pitching, best defensive team in baseball. Paul Goldschmidt, MVP, possibly. Nolan Arenado, most underrated player in baseball. Tommy Edmond, like, they have, uh, uh, is what's his, it's Nolan Gorman, right? First name's Nolan. He's still been, he's been sticking around. Like, he's been doing good, and, uh, Tyler O'Neill with his giant juicy booty out there popping home runs. Have you that man, nobody wears baseball pants like he does. Have you have you seen his batting stance? Nolan Gorman? No, no, no. Tyler O'Neill on St. Louis. Look up some images. No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. He's got a dump okay. truck. Um anyway. His batting stance? Yeah, because like the way he like emphasizes, he sticks that thing out there. Like you gotta put a red flag. It's crazy. Um so St. Louis nine, Boston eight. Um, I'm putting Brewers up at number seven. They are winning that division. They had slumped for a little bit. We talked about that, but they've been pitching's coming back. Uh, this Woodruff's out. I think Freddy Peralta's still out too. I, I don't know about that, but 
Um, Corbin Burns um, is carrying them along. Their offense is doing a good enough job. So they're going to be at number seven. Braves, I have at number six, had the best record in June, had that 14-game win streak, climbing up, looking really good. Um, They had a heartbreaker loss last night against L.A. They were up by two in the ninth, and Kenley gave up a two-out, two-run single. So arguably could have a better record than climbing closer to the Mets. I do think they will catch the Mets. That's my bold statement. I think they're going to catch the Mets. And win that division. I feel it. I'm not confident. I mean, Scherzer will come back. He's a monster. I'm not confident DeGrom will be back. And if he is, I don't know when. And uh, they'll still make the playoffs. They're still a decent team. But I just feel like the Braves are a more complete team. They do need to shore up their bullpen a little bit. But I think they'll catch them. Right now, they're sitting at six. Padres at number five, who who did take over the NL West lead a couple times over the last couple of weeks. So they're hanging around. They've been flip-flopping. The Dodgers... I think I have a two-game lead on them now. Um, Padres pitching is great. Machado carrying that team on his back. And whenever Tatis comes back, that could be an interesting division race because I kind of feel like the Dodgers, with all their injuries, are very gettable and vulnerable to um, the Padres. And so if Tatis comes back, he could push them over. Um, but right now I have them number five. Astros, as you said, number four. Um, very consistent, most consistent team in baseball, maybe outside the Dodgers over the last six, seven years. And they have some sneaky good pitching. I mean, obviously Justin Verlander is, everybody knows him, but everybody else in the rotation is kind of sneaky good. They have a bad bullpen. Like the guy who no hit you guys? They have a bad bullpen. Say his name again? No idea. Um, Christian Javier. Sure, that guy. Uh, Fun fact about that series, we split the series, the Yankees bullpen gave up two, two runs in four games. The Astros bullpen gave up nine runs in uh, four games, sorry, in four games. So definitely some questions there. Um, their offense on the bottom, bottom side of their order is also a little weak, but they just, that core has been together for so long. So anyway, they're going to keep winning. And that division is so weak. Dodgers, I've had number three. Um, still, again, one of the better records in baseball. Still a lot of talent, but a lot of injuries. Hopefully Betts comes back soon. That'll help them, obviously. Uh, Mets at number two, second best record in baseball. Um, one thing with the Dodgers, though, they do have a, like a plus 133 run differential. So they have the second best run differential in the league. So that, like, that you have to pay attention to that statistic to say how much they're dominating um, and their overall season where the Mets don't have that. But the Mets... 20 games above 500. Have to give them number two. They still continue to lead that division. Again, I think the Braves will catch them eventually. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe DeGrom comes back, and he's another Cy Young caliber guy for the last half of the season. Scherzer comes back healthy, and they just they cruise. Who knows? And then, obviously, number one of the Yankees sitting at uh, 53 and 20, plus 144 run differential. We're on pace to win, I think, 120 games. We're halfway through the season, John. I don't think we're going to get there, but I think we've shown that we can play in our division and be successful and play other teams and be successful. And I, It'd be hard-pressed to think that we're going to continue to have a plus 700 winning percentage, but halfway through the season, I mean, I think we have a good shot of at least winning 110 games. So that's my number one. My New York Yankees, no, my boys. I gotta, I gotta hand it to you. I can't, 
can't refute that. I I said it last week. It is getting kind of annoying how they don't lose. <laughs> and then they lost well, to the Astros. We did. We, feel better, we went but. six and four in our last 10, which is usually pretty good, but that's been bad for us as we've been trying to, like, we've been going eight and two or 10 and 0. You know, on average in a 10 game span, so six and four seems really weak, but still winning. Still winning. Um, a winning week and if you win six out of four or six out of ten uh you have a pretty good season on your hand if you stretch that out 162 games so if that's our worst week we're doing pretty good we're doing pretty good on that so i will say it's interesting that you have the rays i know that you're that's your team but with their injuries coming down and Toronto's potential. I'm surprised. I think Toronto's a better team than Tampa Bay. They're fighting for their life right now. Yeah, they Let's are. See, they. I mean, who knows? Uh, they have more to offer at the trade deadline than the than the Blue Jays. So, I think. I think the Twins. I know. Yeah, I'm gonna keep harping on them. It's interesting that Cleveland's still there. Uh, not to take anything away from Minnesota. Um. Cleveland was not a team I expected Man, to be. You just do it at every chance you get. They're the worst division leader. Can we agree on that? Can we agree yeah, on that? We can agree. We can agree on Thank that. Thank you. It's just funny. I don't know what I don't know what the people of Minnesota did to you, but man, get out of the way if Bobby's coming by. I just can't get behind. I just can't get behind with that team and the construction of that team and they're just being helped right now by how poorly that division is performing. It's still crazy to me that the White Sox still can't get it. I think it's, I don't think it's going to happen, but we said the same things about the Braves last year. So maybe they're a team that just, they're going to wait till the middle of August and they're just going to turn it on. St. Louis too, last year, they had to win like 20 games in a row to make the postseason. So you just never know. But I look, if Cleveland, somehow i don't think it's gonna happen cleveland cleveland just hit a hot streak and they get all these division games and they beat the twin like they are beating the twins over and over again and we're going into late july and cleveland's got a five game lead and minnesota is like at 500 i'm gonna stick to saying i think they'll still they'll still trade korea i'm just gonna put that out there i don't know if that's gonna happen and I, maybe minnesota just holds on to this division lead the rest of the season but uh, if Cleveland catches them and stays consistent until late July, I think Cray is out of there because he's not signing. He's not signing back. Like we know, he's not going to sign back. He's going to go back on the market see if he can get a long term deal. But anyway, yeah. and I do think the Padres have a chance to catch the Dodgers. I think it's totally possible. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I think I said it in that section. They're only two games behind. Yep. Tatis coming back. Bobby, we. We rarely have this. Uh, we have breaking news on the podcast. Do we? So I, I have to switch gears just for a second at the end here. Kyrie Irving. Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. I've made my decision to opt in. See you in the fall. So he's going back. So he's going back to the Nets. And all of that talk about Durant leaving. I can kiss those dreams goodbye. Well, 
There we go. I just Not think the his Knicks. quote was funny. He's <laughs> got our breaking you know, news. He uh, dare to be different. Um, I think almost everyone would have opted into $35 million. Money, so. Yeah. So he is in yeah. for the money, everybody. Like we, everybody else is. Which He's is making fine. six times what the Lakers could pay him. Yes. Yeah, because they weren't going to get a sign in trade. So, all right, back on. Let's retry it in Brooklyn, year four. See if they can pull through. Maybe Ben Simmons plays more than two games this season. Yeah, we'll see. Pretty interesting. All right. Okay. I think it's going to do Anything it. Anything else, Bobby? That's it. Two week hiatus. We had a lot of information, a little bit longer podcast, but a lot of NBA talk. But um, interested to see what happens on Thursday now that Kyrie has made his decision. Uh, what kind of dominoes are going to fall? And uh, yeah, I think we'll finally start to see some trades come through now that that's off the table. So it should be exciting, which is fun for should me. Should be more exciting. And now that you're in Portland, you can feel that energy and that vibe. Hopefully, some good news coming out of the Portland area too. Probably not Durant. So, like I said. Well, yeah, I actually, I just found out that one of my, somebody I went to college with, who's a reporter that was out in Spokane, she's moving back to Portland and could cover some of the Blazers. So that's really exciting. Look at you go, man. Look at you building your life down there. Lovely to see. You know? I'll be on my way down shortly. Please do. All right, man. I think it's going to do it for us. All right. Uh, Thank you, everyone. Uh Go ahead, Bobby. At Twitter. Take us on the outro. And Instagram at Yankee6 at Thorpe Theory. We uh, will be back weekly coming out on Mondays from here on out. So thanks for your patience. All right. Talk to you later, folks. Toodles.